La 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 la. That's going in. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bert. What's up? I'm Steve. Welcome to How to Kill a Church. A podcast of indefinite length following two church planters' journey through discovery, heartbreak, and innovation for the future of the church. We're doing this podcast not because we have all the answers. In fact, as you'll hear, we have very few of them, but because we are compelled by the potential for this moment and what it could mean for those following the way of Jesus. We actually think that COVID may be one of the best disruptions for the American church in decades. Through this global pandemic we're all living through, and on the shoulders of the last 20 years of information, internet, change, upheaval, we believe there is a unique opportunity to reimagine the church to meet this cultural moment with the gospel. So follow us on this journey of discovery, lessons learned, mistakes made, and maybe, just maybe, an ancient and innovative way forward for the church of the future. So we have finished a bit of an arc. That mm. arc is introducing ourselves, introducing this podcast, mm. trying to lay some footing for what you and I are bringing to the conversation and even what's been stirring in us, what's been, what's been prodding us, yeah. what's been um, exciting to us and what's been, uh, I think, things that have compelled us to want to look at this, this whole whole context differently. Yeah. And so at the end of last episode, we actually said we we're going to go into another arc around the deconstruction journey. Right. So we're going to talk about construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. We're going to talk about the kind of the theological journey one goes on when they're in this spot of questioning faith, doubting faith, you know, kind of all, all in that space right there. And then we're going to get ready to release some of those. And then you stopped me and mm. said, Hey, I actually, we got to do something before, before we do that. We got to do this. The only person I knew that was Kevin. And you just told everybody. I told everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good, man. Yeah. Blame it on Steve. Blame it on Steve. (laughs) We had had a well-oiled schedule. And then Steve comes in with his ideas and messes it all up. (laughs) I think it'll be good, man. It's right. All right. So uh, what what is that idea? Before we get into the deconstruction journey, which... I think I I was I'm really excited about it. Those episodes are still coming, and I yeah. think there's some key books and and key ideas that are being thought of. And I know lots of people in my sphere are either wrestling with that journey because they're on it, or they yeah. have friends that are on it. Same. But I think one of the things we started talking about is a lot of the conversation around deconstruction is around. Um, I don't want to say like blaming mm. the individual, but it, yeah. it does center around the individual. Absolutely. Right? That's the what individual it comes, story. And you got it. And often because there's this kind of moment of detachment and then they go on this solo journey over here. And so right. that's where a lot of the attention gets. And I think there's a lot of good attention that's over there. A lot mm. of helpful instruction, a lot of helpful challenging and questioning. But one of the things you identified was that actually the church plays a part in yeah. why people why deconstruction is this thing. You absolutely got it right. And not to say no one's ever deconstructed before, but it feels like it's at a fever pitch right now. Yep. More so than other times, at least in the last hundred or so years. Yep. So that's a, what we want to talk about today. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the I don't know, the heartbeat, man, like I, I got a couple of buddies who are talking about things like critical race theory mm-hmm. and talking about injustices and, yep. you know, how in which that is really causing people in the historic black church and just people of color to really question the faith uh, and, and to re-examine their relationship to God, to Jesus, to the Bible, the whole nine. And uh, a couple people have been saying some very pointed things that have hmm. been, I feel like circling the internet, had a friend named Brian who just basically said, Hey, critical race theory is not leading anybody to fall, fall away. Hmm. It's uh, followers of Jesus who act nothing like Jesus Ooh. that are actually doing that. Uh, and it's the, you know, those moments I think uh, have been a sobering reality for me. Just recently I shared with you, uh, we're preaching through Ephesians chapter four, just getting our people ready for some of the stuff that we're doing uh, in the next upcoming months and even the transitions we're going through. And it was like, I just came to a spot where I realized as one of those who's been gifted to the church for equipping, I have to realize that the professional, uh, big CEO, uh, overproduced and uh, under discipled church 
is my responsibility that falls on my my shoulders hmm. before I'm up here preaching at everybody else about what they need to be doing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so in the same heartbeat, I'm like, before we go and get confused as those who are poo-pooing on people because they are unraveling some things and peeling back the layers to their face. Sure. Uh, let's actually uh, take inventory on um, the church and, and, and some of that. So that's that's where it came from. So you just dropped a whole lot of lo- loaded... <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we yeah. got to unpack here. Word up. But in, in in summary, and uh, I think what we're talking about here is is we're gonna we're gonna use a kind of a short um, short code for some of these mm. kind of the the church that the version of church the iteration of church that may be more prone to yeah. disenfranchisement or deconstruction or something like that. And we're just gonna call it program church. Good. Yep. It's not not perfect. Yep. But it's a term we're borrowing from a book that we've both recently read, and I'm I'm actually taking a crew through it in our church community, and it's been profoundly shaping yeah. for us in this journey of like post COVID building back. What are we actually building towards? Yeah. And yeah. this has been one of those crazy crazy moments. And so Will Mancini and Corey Hartman in their book Future Church mm. kind of talk about program church as a contrast to a few other different types of church right. and. And I think when we think of program church, we do think of what you said, like CEO style, business style, priority on numbers, priority on cash, priority on big events, priority on whatever those things are. And like it or not, this is chances are this is the version of church that you have been. If you have church heritage, yeah. If, and if you're under the age of 60, chances are this kind of church played a big role in your Christian heritage. Don't matter how big or small yep. the church yep. is. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so the thing is, is like as we jump into it, I think it's just important to say this is our uh, opportunity to be good stewards of God's call on us to be servant leaders in the church and even to be those who are first and foremost to turn repent yeah uh and to to make changes where they need to be so that was it so program church is big on organization Mm -hmm. light on disciple making light (laughs) light that's enough that's it see you next time (laughs) all right so in place of disciple making steve what's happening at program church man i mean think about it we have a big organizational structures we have a come to structure we have fleeced out the life on life rhythms of pouring into people to see them matured and developed uh, for event based things on campus at the church, quote unquote, right? The church building. Uh, and we've tried to just put forward a program or some kind of a club or some type of a group. Uh, and, and we've we've basically lost our focus. Um, I've seen that. I've been a part of that. My wife, two episodes ago, said she saw me swimming mm, in that. Yeah. When Jamie says, I'm thinking, this is not why we came to Ventura. There's already a lot of good churches here. If that's what we're supposed to be doing, we're wasting our time. Yeah. And she said, I saw you on the hamster wheel, right? Yep. Um, and and it's, it's hard to break away from that oftentimes. Uh, but anyway, I think it's just... Our, our attention has been on programs and it hasn't been on people. Hmm. So the church has become this strong organization, very operational, top down, and it's eclipsed our focus and our vision for a culture of discipleship or disciple making. Yeah. Which if, if the goal was to become this high level competitive organization mm. that turns out good programs, that is uh, efficient from a system standpoint, is revenue neutral, or all those things, we've, Success. we've by and large succeeded Absolutely. in America, right? If Absolutely. that was the goal, yeah. we've by and large exce- oh uh, succeeded wow. in that. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but I think there's also some da- So where this trickles out into how people feel about the church in terms of like a, you know, what a, what a faith journey might look like is uh, success gets, gets um, is like, takes the form of busyness. Yeah. So the more you're doing, mm-hmm. the more and more and more you're doing, the more successful you right. are. Yep. Um, Activity, not necessarily productivity. Yeah. That's absolutely it. Yeah. And and measures of success counted by attendance, counted by engagement rather than legitimate mm-hmm. Christ-like change. Man, butts and seats. Yeah. Right? Like you said. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, and, you know, so the thing is, is like, what is the rubric? What is the actual measuring rod by which we say that we are successful? And I think everybody would agree, even those who are knee deep in program church are going to at least give a mental assent to say it's the Great Commission. Yeah, it's the Great Commission. Yeah. But the reality is, is that we were told to go into the world and gospelize persons, not generate programs. And so if the programs are like uh have more they basically supplanted the 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 evangelizing and uh, and when I just say I'm just saying good newsing people to the point that they come to Christ start becoming like him and invite other people into doing the same if you start to eclipse that because you've got uh, a great group uh, or a great event that's happening on campus and you just want to get the crowd there then you miss the point and that's that's been where we've been So in the book, Future Church, uh, Mancini quotes a guy named George Bullard. Mm-hmm. And he says in his book, pursuing the full kingdom potential of your congregation. It's a mouthful of a title. <laughs> uh, and what he does is he kind of sketches out this picture, especially when he's thinking around vision. And he's thinking around what vision does for a church. He gives this illustration around four people riding in an SUV. Yeah. Think about a road trip. Yeah. And those four people are vision, relationships, management programs. Yeah. Talk to us about that. Well, I mean, in the book, he basically says that in, in the healthiest biblically functioning church, vision is in the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also helpful to, to realize that relationships is in the passenger seat, yeah. right? Right next to vision, um, helping to navigate. Yeah. And then you have programs and you have management in the backseat. He even goes so far as to say program sits in the backseat behind relationships yeah. to support to support. It. I love that because I told you I love the trellis and the vine. Yeah. It's like I, I totally get that. Uh, but then he also says management rides behind vision to help it to drive. So here's what I love about that is in that in that first segment, you could easily misconstrue what we're saying and say kill all organized, right? Uh, right you know, right. Pro- programming is bad. Organized yeah. church is bad. What I love is that actually there's like a, in, in particularly with these couple of authors that we're talking about, there's a call to like the healthier, yeah, might I even say more biblically balanced version sure. of what like managing and programs could mm-hmm. do to undergird, yeah, what our vision. Our I always, I always love when it's holistic. Yeah, it's both and. It isn't like either or. You're not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Uh, especially not in the name of like your new, cool, trendy yeah. philosophy of ministry. He's just saying, hey, this is the proper alignment. Yeah. And I think all of us have been on at least a short road trip and there's some people who should be driving yeah. and there's other people who should be riding. <laughs> totally, right. Totally. And, then, and, and there's times, I mean, I tell my kids all the time, like, hey, don't get up here and go to sleep. If you want to sit in the back, send <laughs> your brother up here. <laughs> exactly. You know, send your brother up here. This is the front seat is not the place where you go to sleep. But anyway. Well, speaking of people being in the wrong positions, that's when he calls out this kind of program. Church, right. Is like when the seats get shuffled. Right. Right. He said what he say? He said uh, program church. Uh, it, it, it comes because vision is getting tired, mm. tired of driving, needs to take a nap. So it goes to the back seat, And then when vision pulls over, management is like, oh, I'll drive. Yeah. <laughs> management gets up in the um, front seat, but management doesn't want relationships. He wants programs to sit next to him. Yeah. Right. And so then they swap seats. Yep. And quickly what you have is the result. He says the unhealthiest seating arrangement in a church management driving programs navigating vision and relationships fast asleep in the backseat. And here's the thing too, is even when vision's ready to wake up and take over again, trying to wrestle back control for management. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. Oh my goodness. So that's when we get into the church carpet conversation, mm, moving the drums onto the stage, right. you know, shifting Silencing facilities, the p- piano. Yeah. Absolutely. All those things. It's yep. like, wait a second, yep. the vision, the mission is not driving this church anymore. Oh, it's man. just status quo. Mm. So not only is management in the driver's seat, but they're on cruise control. Yep. You got it. And that, I think that's where we've been. 
uh, is like, and I'm talking about under my own leadership, yeah. when I'm saying, hey, vision this way, vision this way, we're going this way. It's like, everybody's like, wait, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, having to wrestle with the reality that, no, those are steps backwards and even a return that I'm called to and places where I need to have a humble posture of, of uh, repentance and also just honesty and transparent, you know, just be transparent and say, yeah. I'm, I'm a byproduct of this. Sure. Right. Like we said, if we <laughs> have been a part of the church at all, this has been the church that we've inherited and benefited from. And so we got to be real about that. But in doing so, we have to be willing to like make the turns and make the hard decisions that may come along with doing that. Yeah, I think I think you're right. That is for most of us, most of us, if we're honest, that's church as we know it. That's where we mm-hmm. all come out of. That's mm-hmm. even what we're used to. And, yep. and we're content with just swapping out old programs for modern ones. Yep. Swap out the small group for a missional community. Right. Swap out this Bible study for mm. a growth track or yeah. whatever. You would just like swap out the thing. Yeah. But that's still mm. management and programs driving. Yeah. But we're not also saying like programs are bad in right. of themselves. Right. I think the thing we're trying to hone in on around is that maybe they're in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they're at a level of importance because they're easy. They produce results. They're easy to measure the mm-hmm. success of. Yeah. Um, and so we, we've said, yeah, let's, let's do that because it's hard to tell if someone's becoming more Christ-like, but it's easy to know how many people I got showing up in my class. That's real. You know, and that again, the beauty of the trellis yeah. painted, nice and beautiful probably got some new lumber yeah it's been you know you fit it i mean it just is it's great looking but the point is that you are in the yeah the the business of growing grapes right and so the real work the manicuring the maturing the attention to detail the program serves that or the trellis serves that but it isn't about that well it serves that until it doesn't as soon as the trellis gets in the way of the it's like, grapes, we got to do something about this. We got to do something. You about got it. it. You got so you, it. You know, you add that new lumber, you take yep. it down, yep. you, you remove it all together yep. if it needs be, or you add to, if yep. you need to, you know, we're not just about taking down. You may need to add to that trellis yep. as well. Yep. yep. Because the trellis is what supports yeah. the growth yeah. of the vine. Yeah. And that's the people. And so that's, yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it's, um, it's just interesting to wrestle with, man. Yeah. I, I'm in a I'm in a place where I'm like really wrestling with, okay, so what program stays, what doesn't? You remember sure. meeting with those pastors last what summer, and you know, guys are talking about kind of that J curve, sure, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, do you remember it yep. enough to like, okay, talk about it then? Give me two minutes <laughs> on it right now. He said he remembers. I hope I hope he's telling the truth. I just remember the visual, but. Yeah, I don't remember the letters offhand. I feel like all of our friends are going to listen to this and laugh at us it don't for, matter. for speaking about this. But um, forget them. It, there were basically like four <laughs> four things that are going to happen. Yeah. I think it's J love, right? Yes. And so it's either things that J things that are going to start. Yes. And continue right. during during the pandemic. Uh, L things that are going to like we that we were doing before that are fully dying. Right. And then there are the U, which are things that are going to come back slowly, mm-hmm. but they will come back. Yeah. And there's the V, which is things that come back right away. Right. Yeah. So like what's what's staying? Mm-hmm. Um, I should say what's what's going to come back slow? What's yeah. going to come back quick? Yeah. What's going to die off? And right. when are we going to start? And I'm in that process of just working through. That was not bad. I did that. That was not bad. You that, pulled that out of my back burner memory plate right there. You want me to clap? You want, to, <laughs> you want a cracker? <laughs> I remembered it. All right. Anyway, uh, no, I'm just saying like I'm in that place where I'm, I'm working through that with everything that we we do, and we're so brand new that yeah. it's like. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, um, that means that things that we were just getting used to are not necessarily on a chopping block, but everything's being reevaluated. Sure. And so whereas, okay, here's one. We started out and we're like, yo, we got as many kids as we have adults. Mm. Let's throw all our eggs in that basket. Sure. Arise kids, the launch of it, the way in which we went to staff that up and to brand it and everything else was like a big deal. Yeah. That's not coming back online right now. Mm. And we don't necessarily have many fewer children. It's just we don't see that as the A1 priority. Sure. The reason why we saw it that way way at first is because it was Sunday centric. Mm-hmm. We had the gathering in a sanctuary and we were trying to free ourselves from somewhat of the distraction, but it's and like, it's what people expected and, and people expected yeah. like, Oh, if I, we had people actually saying, I'm not going to be able to come because 
well, you don't have children. It's like, ah, I totally get that. Well, we got to figure it out. And so we're like hightailing in that direction. Um, and that's, that's not the priority for us um, in this day, you know. So anyway, I think, you know, it's just we, we keep saying programs not bad in and of themselves. But uh, I, I do think that as we are working through this, I'm trying to be sensitive with sure. our people so that we don't just like go trying to turn a, a quick corner, a corner on everybody and throwing people out of the out of the car, out of the boat. Sure. You know, so I, I think we're beating up on programs a little bit. And I think we're trying to couch that by saying like programs aren't all bad. But I think one of the reasons the programs have have felt contentious is they've taken the place of relationships. They've taken the place yeah. of yeah. actual living your life by the power of the spirit yep. because I go to this class so I can check off my discipleship off a list and not actually be accountable to change anything about my life. Yeah. And eventually that kind of cognitive dissonance mm. grates against people. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like programs can serve that kind of life change and that life on life interaction and the living in the power of the spirit and the everyday stuff of life, you know, the Vanderstelt like gospel and everyday yeah. stuff. Of life. Yeah. But eventually like if we're relying on a program to do that for us and we're not actually doing it ourselves, this might be one of the major reasons people are leaving the church mm. and deconstructing what they've seen yes. as inconsistent with the way of Jesus. Cause you and I get up and teach way of Jesus, live Ooh. in the power of the spirit. Ooh. You have the very power that raised Jesus from that to living in you, but you got to come to this class. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't show up, I'm going to ask you why. Have mercy, Lord. No, the classes are bad. Programs, not, you know, all that yeah. stuff. But if we're like letting people off the hook, mm -hmm. then all this cognitive dissonance is starting to sit in their mind going like, wait a second, how yeah. come what I'm experiencing the life of the church is not matching up to the life of Jesus right. that I see in the gospels? Right. I, I, I mean, I think there's research and there's stats that I can actually support. That is the reason why many of the people in our generation uh, are leaving the church because they see the inconsistency. And, you know, I was looking at some Pew research recently and it's suggesting that six and 10 millennials that were raised in the church no longer belong to one. Hmm. All right. Then it goes on. And if you think about it, you know, the, of the, those who are still here, they're kind of, you know, I don't know, filling it out and <laughs> where am I at? I don't really know about that part. I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that questioning their faith and their traditions and, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that it's the, um, the, tr the moment of truth for us to see that while older generations might be holding on to the way things have always been, the younger generations are like, I don't know, why is that? Tell me more. Like, what's, what's that all about? And, and, and that really is the difference between program church a lot of times and what we want to get up and preach, you know, talking about the way of Jesus. It's like, well, one of these things lead to the uh, leads to the other. And, and it doesn't seem like, you know, it's adding up. So yeah, I mean, God forbid that we perpetuate something that we feel like the, the, the our generation and younger uh, is, is uh, not just questioning, but running away from. The other day, I'm on Facebook, not on Facebook too often, but I'm on Facebook and a friend of a friend shared this. It was a really lengthy post mm. and I, and it was one of those posts that I read and was immediately angry and was immediately felt heard and seen. And, and it's probably one of those, it felt like one of those moments where like a whole awful year's worth of Facebook was redeemed in one post. Wow. By how, how searingly accurate and, and well put together it was. Now, I'm going to share this, some of it, because mm -hmm. it applies to what we've been talking about. I don't have the person's name in front of me, or else I would totally credit them with it. But all to say, if you happen to be listening, this is yours. Well done. But <laughs> got got shared to me by a friend. So, Kudos. Uh, th this person describes, this person was trying to describe... Um, why there was such a difference in reaction between some Christians with the whole Jerry Falwell kind of falling, the really public yeah. scandal of yeah. Jerry Falwell Jr. And some Christians seem to be mourning kind of a loss of such a public figure. And some seem to be almost like laughing and enjoying his downfall. Mm. 
And he, and he says it's chalked up to what he calls big joke Christianity. Big joke. Big joke Christianity, mm. which is a theology that was handed to a whole generation of American evangelical kids. Oh, wow. So he says this. American millennial evangelicals grew up in an era, an era of two major competing streams of evangelical Christianity. On one hand, we had mainstream evangelicalism, which was largely a suburban phenomenon that was made up of affluent white suburban families going to large affluent white suburban churches, most of which had their own tricked out buildings, large staffs, marketing teams, tons of resources, and well-produced services. Programs. Programs. Program church to a T, right? Mm, yeah. In this model of evangelicalism, part of being a, um, uh, a good evangelical is succeeding in a pretty classic American way. You go to college, you get a job, you marry, you have a few kids, you buy a house in the suburbs, and you contribute to your large, white, affluent suburban church. On the other hand, you had the phenomenon of what's now called the emergent evangelical. So this was like early 2000s, guys like Dan Kimball, Brian McLaren were sort of like writing, you know, think of worship services with a lot of candles, yep, right? Kind yep, of yep. recovering some of uh, the emergent stuff, had a high view of mission, all of that. And he says, on the other hand, you had this, this phenomenon, emergent evangelicals. The emergent movement actually strenuously resisted a lot of mainstream evangelicalism. It was urban, it was radically anti-suburban, and it often resisted the model of affluent, nuclear family-centered white churches. It resisted the idea that succeeding at the American dream was part of being a Christian and beat a very insistent drum that the goal of Christianity wasn't actually to achieve the safety and security of American family life. Hmm. The goal was instead to give it all for Jesus, take huge risks, make countercultural decisions, and to basically live out a sold-out faith for Jesus at every level, personal, familial, financial, and so on. So how did these things combine for American evangelical kids in high school and college? Now, as a side note, I graduated college in 05. Okay. So I'm like right in the zone that sure. he's about to talk about yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah. So how did they combine with evangelical kids who were in high school and college? Well, both sides had pretty sizable media arms. And the emergent idea of giving it all for Jesus showed up in full force in the American suburban kids spaces, particularly in youth groups. In my experience, he goes on to say, this was heavily encouraged by people who were mentoring kids and an evangelical media geared at young people. Why wouldn't it? What evangelical doesn't want their kids to be quote unquote sold out for Christ, mm. to give their time, all their attention and all their priorities to Christianity. Hmm. Nothing else. It's a good way to keep your kids out of trouble, right? There's probably something to be said here about the rise of helicopter parenting, but in practice, most parents and leaders seem pretty excited for their kids to absorb emergent evangelical culture. So if you were an evangelical Christian between, say, 2006 and 2015, you probably knew a lot of kids who had suburban evangelical parents, probably homeowning, probably white collar, possibly double income, but the kids themselves walked off that path and became self-supporting campus parachurch staff or volunteers or unpaid staff at churches or ministry centers like IHOP or overseas missionaries at YWAM, ministers with MDivs they could never be able to pay for, and so on. A lot of this involved working with, befriending, and loving people who would never be welcome at the big affluent white suburban church. But that's okay if it's all for Jesus. Mm. Mainstream evangelicals with emergent style kids. Then 2015 happened. What happened in 2015, Steve? There, there's a shift in the American political system. Someone came down the escalator. Say less. <laughs> <laughs> Say less. Someone came down a golden escalator wow. and the world changed. Say right? less. Yes. Wow. Then the big day of reckoning comes. He continues. Wow. There's wow. a candidate on the ballot who has no morals, no obvious commitment to truth or decency, no history of commitment to Christianity, no sense of sexual or financial integrity, Sheesh. but who comes with a promise to reinscribe security for the suburban security oriented mainstream evangelicals. A lot of their people, a lot of the people, their kids met in the field and in their ministry weren't welcome in this candidate's vision of the future. Wow. But the security-oriented evangelicals loved him. Sheesh. This combination of mainstream and emergent evangelicalism in the millennial Christian experience is what I have come to think of as the creation of big joke Christianity. Wow. So this is where he goes on to define it. Big joke Christianity. 
The evangelicalism that my generation of evangelicals grew up with was the big joke. It was played on evangelical kids who were actually supposed to become security-oriented mainstream evangelicals, but for mainstream evangelical adult leaders, there was a short-term advantage in dipping into the emergent tradition and telling kids to give it all for Jesus. It was never meant to be taken seriously. It was meant to get you through high school and college with decent grades and without sleeping with too many people and staying off drugs. Oh my goodness. The problem is that according to the logic of big joke Christianity, kids weren't actually supposed to commit themselves to following the example of Jesus in the New Testament. They were supposed to say they were following the example of Jesus and otherwise live like they were members of the white educated suburban class of the 1950s. (laughs) The joke went too far. Too many kids actually did sacrifice their security and stability to become ministers and missionaries and staff workers. Too many people really did follow the radical example of Jesus in the New Testament. However, after 2015, the joke became too obvious. The generation that raised us had to reveal they were kidding. It wasn't serious. You're not actually supposed to give it all up for Jesus. You're supposed to do the Jesus thing as far as it helps you participate in the big, white, affluent suburban community. When the big joke was finally revealed, a lot of people, a lot of young people walked away. I don't blame them. And I don't think they're coming back, he says. But I think the fact that the big joke was played on a generation of Christian kids, now adults, is exactly why a lot of people are laughing their heads off at people like Jerry Falwell Jr. Dang. He was in on the big joke, and now everyone can see him for exactly what he was. It's not glee, and it's definitely not rejoicing. It's sad, tremendous, bitter laughter. It's the same sad laughter a lot of people feel looking at the plummeting numbers of church attendance among young people, particularly following 2016. Wow. How else do you think people are going to respond to the collapse of the system that played such an enormous trick on them? That's crazy, yo. With appropriate sobriety? With prayer that the system could be reinstated to trick a new generation of people? Why did you think they'd respond with anything but That's laughter crazy. and blow torches That's crazy. to burn the rest of it to the ground? Yo, I, I could take this conversation like five ways right now. <laughs> well, he finishes here. He finishes here with, I think, a bit of hope, <sighs> sort of. If this sounds like a wholesale rejection of Christianity, it's not at all. This writer says, I'm a devout Christian and I anticipate being one until I die. But the big joke has to die. And ideally, as spectacularly, visibly, and terrifyingly as possible. I remain convinced that some good kind of American Christianity is already thriving under the rubble and can be dug up and nurtured. But the monstrosity that's been built over it has to be burnt down before it Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. End quote. (laughs) Okay, from the other side of the tracks, <laughs> yo, talk to me. I talk wish to me. I, I wish I thought it was appropriate. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I know I just dropped this bomb on you. I wish I thought it was appropriate to name names of people who yeah. came to meet us in the city of Compton and to build uh, houses with us and to start different outreaches and to do the youth soccer outreaches and so on and so forth, or the people who left and went overseas on these great trips and now are just gone and literally left bitter and angry. That has to be at least a part of it. Yeah. Shame, shame, shame on, I I, I can't even say us. Right. But I I mean, I literally like that, that is, that's a, that's a, Well, you caught some of the white savior complex of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go into the hood. Fix Absolutely. up these little black and brown kids with some new houses. Absolutely. Feel good about ourselves and Absolutely. head back to our suburbia. But what's crazy is I can even think about people right now who it was real for them. Yeah. And they genuinely like walked with. Sure. Um, like walked with us and, and yeah. were. were Man, I'm just sobered by that. But anyway, I'm just thinking like people who are genuine. Yeah. Well, um, there's so much nuance in there, too. Here's the point that I was getting ready to say. Their parents really did act like they were like taking it too far. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And it's like, oh, y'all didn't think they were going to take the, it wasn't supposed to take it serious. We're not, yeah. not supposed to really do that. Let's just read about it and like tremble with yeah. You know, yeah. for a couple of minutes, oh, that was convicting, but yeah. then go on with our comfortable, cushy lives. 
Yo, that's crazy, man. And the thing is, is when I look at the research that's being done, right, yeah. where it says six out of ten yeah. millennials yeah. not in the church anymore and gone. And when you look at the two out of the four that are still there, they're, even they are unraveling their faith. I actually could see like, well, there's a big portion of it. Sure. A big portion of it. That's that that those those uh that kind of like hypocrisy again here comes that word sure um would lead me to not want to be a part of the church either well even more recently i think big joke christianity has taken the form of masks and indoor gathering it's been a year a a little over a year since i think some of the first wave of shutdowns hit us here in ventura a little bit longer for other communities listening maybe a little bit later yeah and to anyone who's reading the Bible mm-hmm. and reading things from Jesus saying, take up your cross, mm-hmm. deny yourself, reading things from Paul saying, you got to die to yourself mm-hmm. and then see churches fighting about not being able to gather indoors yeah. or the oppressive yeah. tyranny of asking you to wear a mask when yeah. you're outside to yeah. whatever. I'm not talking about the efficacy of masks. That's you. not the point though. The point is like, it's yeah. what's asked of us yeah. in this season <laughs> during yeah. a global pandemic. Yeah. And then see, these are the things the church is going to care about. Yeah. See? But not care about the poor. But and, not care about the poor. And not care about, ah. I, you know Ooh, what? I haven't where are heard, we going with this? I haven't heard a lot of pro-life talk since the COVID started. <sighs> Come on, pro-lifers. What's happening here? Where are we going with it? <laughs> I don't know. We just stumbled on some uncharted. We're off I'm the outline, guys. We're off the outline. That in, in the moment, right? Like, we literally have made it very clear what we're about, what we're not about. Yeah. And if I am either... Raised in one of these households, somewhere remotely close to knowing what's going on inside these quote-unquote church yeah. buildings and what these quote-unquote Christians believe, and it's that, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, I'm on the next thing smoking out of the church sure. because if nothing else, I actually have read my Bible, Sure, and this ain't that. Well, that's the interesting thing is that the... You know, we're seeing all these numbers about church attendance and church involvement and engagement, all this stuff. But also the numbers of professing Christians has only decreased by 8%. Mm-hmm. So it's not followed the same trends as church attendance, which right. tells us that there are still a lot of people out there who believe in Jesus, but are not bought into the program church way of doing things. Yep. You and I can name off a dozen people immediately that we've had coffees with in the last month. Yep. That fitness category. Yep. Love Jesus, maybe even are earnestly trying to find their way here, but just cannot put it together with what we've seen as program and organization church. Yep. And and that's church the first thing to go. It's the easiest to check out the window. You got it. You got it. I literally was thinking um, just recently like, hey, man, I didn't even expect to have that much conversation about the Lord with him. But the thing is, is like it's that moment of, Oh no, I I just don't want to have anything to do with all that organized stuff. Sure. But I love Jesus. Yeah. And the thing is, is like we want to be able to say, hey, it can be both and. Yeah. But I I mean I totally get it. It's yeah. like I don't I it it's just guilty by association, I guess, at this point. And 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 the reason why I say, hey, before we start talking about the details of that and bringing in interviews from some of these guys and things like that, I think what we need to do is just be real and say that we have more responsibility than that yeah. than we'd like to admit. I think the reason we're, we're putting such a big target on the overproduction and overprogramming and organi- over-organization uh, mm. side, the business side of the church, is because uh, one stat here that you've got in front of me, 60% of people who've left the church, only one in 10 suggested it's because they don't believe the Bible anymore. Yeah. You They're know not what? leaving for orthodoxy. I'm saying. They're not saying, you know what? I actually don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Right. I don't actually believe Jesus was. Uh, we got some of that, but right. it's not a high percentage. Right. Let me rattle some stats off of you. 47% believe church attendance was irrelevant to their lives. Hmm. 26% didn't accept how it is taught. 24% believe church had an outdated style, function, or program. 22% had issues with clergy ministers. I think that's you, Steve. Clergy, I mean, just, keep, hey, just keeping it real, I would that number should be higher. <laughs> I would be way more upset and mad at all of these, like, it's, it's, it's so like, true. yeah, okay, pastor. Like, <laughs> they weren't pulling your church, all right? Jeez, they were, man. Yeah. That's real. Or my church. Gosh, gosh. But there's a word for this. Mm deconstruction. That's what it is. I'm sure everyone here who's listening in has 
either knows someone or maybe is on mm. this journey in mm. one way or another. Maybe it's a little bit of light deconstruction. Mm. Maybe it's a genuine wholesale fire sale of, yeah. of your faith. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty rampant. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to plant this episode before our three episode arc on, on the construct, the deconstruction journey is because for most, a lot of the reason people have started this journey, may, maybe it, Maybe it's not fully to blame, and yeah. maybe it's not the prevailing reason, but maybe it's just the catalyst for this journey. Yeah, is the overprogrammed, yeah, um, overproduced, yep. overorganized, underdiscipling church. Yep, it's big joke Christianity. Yep, and I think it's high time that we deconstruct that. That's what we mean by kill a church. That's what we mean by we're going to kill church. We keep redefining it, but it's like it's no, all related. It's all related. <laughs> literally, though, that's yeah. what we mean. It's it's literally yep. like, yep. and and the moment that we deconstruct all the traditions and all the ways and yeah. all those, I mean, the jokes. That is, that is hilarious in the truest sense. If anybody were to go yeah. and to like, you know, just uh, study the word hilarious, I'm thinking about the fact that like there's this outlandish kind of lavish wasteful idea that goes with that word but that that is it is a joke but the point is when we go at that and when we're honest the first things that that's going to go is programs we start deconstructing church and what church means and what church minimum is and what church exists for and who we are in relation to one another in the church the moment we do that we will drastically deprogram it why does the church exist hmm. why, why are you and I Christians and servant leaders in the church called to be pastors in today is it not that we would pass the torch down to the next generation right in disciple making We've got to reach and we got to win and we got to send those in our generation and beneath us back out into the culture to do it again and to do it again and do it again. Right. Till he comes. That's that's what it's about. I think that the people God has placed us on earth to reach and to pass down the gospel to have done away with the don't ask. Just believe. Well, they're finally applying all that critical thinking that education has That's taught That's 100% <laughs> true. That is 100% true. Even Common Core uh-huh. is no longer about two plus two is four. It's why. Why? Okay, Johnny, two plus two is five. Show me why. Hmm. Right? This is, this is, this is the, the generation, the language of a culture. And so the thing is, is that the whole joke which has been in some ways or a program church just getting back on track is like, don't ask questions, just have faith. Yeah. That whole approach to Christianity has to go. If we're going to see people in our generation and beneath us, yeah. like bring the kingdom of God uh, in, in revival and renewal and, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, there's things that we pray about when we talk about killing the church this is what we're talking about. We love the bride of Christ. Yeah. We love Jesus yeah. and we love his people. And we are more committed to showing off the church's beauty in the world than ever before. But we got to make some changes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We absolutely have to do that. Even, you know, if you think about it, excuse the analogy, when I talk about showing off her beauty, we got to undress a bit of this <laughs> in, in front of the next generation. Sure. Right. We can't keep on all of the layers and layers sure. and layers that present the church in one way, but she's altogether different and not really um, that attractive. If, if they're going to appreciate her beauty again, yeah. we've got to do that. And I think that what we're saying is deprogramming the church is where we begin. And I know it'll produce some things, some really good things. Sure. Right. If you think about what, the programs have done and how it's jettisoned like discipleship mm-hmm. and life together and relationships. And when you go back to that analogy of the driving and of the car, right, the SUV, the road trip, when we see this happening and when we make the changes, I think it's going to produce three things at least, hmm. at, at least three things. All right, give it to me. People who have been deconstructing mm-hmm. and who may even be in a reconstructing place are going to begin to have 
and to experience deeper relationships. Hmm. It's going to be real. It's yeah. going to be genuine. In all honesty, a lot of them haven't really lost that. There's a lot of community sure. that's happening outside the church right sure. now. Yeah. People talking about a lot of meals and uh -huh. a lot of parties and uh -huh. a lot of tables, yep. right? But not under and within Christian community. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when we are honest and we do business with that, we'll see more of it come and it'll invigorate the rest of the church, yes. right? Yes. So it's yes. going to be deeper relationships and it's also going to be deep discipleship, hmm. right? Deep discipleship, all that like, oh, because the Bible says. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds no different than when you're telling your kids, like, because I said so. Exactly. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't. That work. doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Now it don't happen with my kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I said so. Millennials and iGen, they want to know why and they deserve to. Yeah. And I think that it's going to require for us to be honest and to dis deepen the discipleship and to teach and to like get down into the lives uh, of people with some bedrock truth that isn't just like religious platitudes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's not just orthodoxy, it's orthopraxy. Yep. If we're talking about mm -hmm. what you believe as true and what you practice, then that's where discipleship really happens. Yep. It's not just like, oh, I get to know a whole bunch of things and give mental assent to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's going to do that. And I think that's going to produce that resilient faith that we're talking yeah. about. It's going to be deeper faith. Yeah. So deep relationships It's going to be deep discipleship and deeper faith. That's what's going to come from this. Yeah. And I think COVID just accelerated this, right? For sure. For sure. This, I mean, this stuff has been happening for decades, for sure. probably yep. longer. Yeah. But I think what we both saw in our communities and, and our friends' communities and kind of the larger church around us was this was that COVID was an acceleration yeah. of a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It was a wake up call, right? It's Some people call reckoning. I mean, yeah. all those things. And, and what I was the final straw for people, too. So Co true. COVID hits, they go like, all right, this is it. Yeah. You know, yeah. This is my chance. Pruning yep. happened in like no time. Yep. Right. It's like people who have been really good at social distancing had permission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and how's that going is, for everyone? Oh my goodness. Hey y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the the thing is, is like I always want to be careful to just not put it all on COVID too. I think COVID. Sure. The reason why it's been such a big reckoning and an accelerator is because we all stopped. Everything's on pause. And then some of the things that have been happening since a 2012 yeah. or, you know, even think about 2015, 2016, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those things became very apparent. We're in an election cycle. There are some of the biggest like um, and more, the, the clearest injustices that happened that are all recorded nine minutes long. Yeah. Screaming for my mama yeah. and, and nobody's doing anything about it. Those things unmistakable, but also beforehand, people just went back to work mm -hmm. the next day. And if you had the privilege to, you didn't think about it twice. Sure. At this point, there was no ignoring Nowhere it. else to go. And so I think it's just been clearing house, you know? Well, to, to borrow your analogy from earlier about program church, the, the road trip has stopped. Yep. Every, everyone, all the seats are empty. Yep. I'm tired. Get out. <laughs> Every, everyone's out of the car. They're, they're on their walkabout. Right. Yep. But yep. In, in that there's an opportunity yeah. to get back in the car. That's good. And I think, I think what COVID has shown us is some, some have deliberately, mm. it's no longer an accident. Some have deliberately put people yeah, absolutely. in certain seats. Absolutely. And I think what we're trying earnestly and stumbling all along the way, what we're earnestly trying to do Say the car's been empty. Man. Let's put vision back in the driver's seat. A biblical, robust, Holy Spirit-infused vision for our community yeah. as sent ones. Relationships in the passenger seat, programs and management behind them undergirding. Yep. And I think we don't want to accidentally or on purpose put management and programs right back in the front seats. Yep. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. Mm. We, <laughs> we will not get it right all the time. Man. We're to stumble at this. But I think it's safe to say you and I both come to a bit of a breaking point with program church. Yeah. So we can't do this anymore. That's right. I had a, I had a moment the other day. Um, I can't remember if I shared this and I don't think I did. It was a, it was a uh, lively conversation Sherry and I were having about our church. We talk about our church all the time. And, and uh, we just had, I think she had sharing this moment. She was earnestly sharing some of the things she'd missed about our church throughout COVID, which is totally legitimate. So many things we can't do that we love to do. We love to eat together as a church. We love some of the prophetic Holy Spirit ministry stuff that happens when we're together in the worship context. And it's just, those things have been difficult or non-existent over yeah. COVID. And she's sharing some of this stuff and I'm sharing some of this stuff and we're talking it on two, you know, kind of head to toes, right? 
but I get to a point where I'm, I'm so frustrated because my brain is full of program church nonsense. It's like, if this is the church we're going back to, I'm quitting right now. Man. I'm not it. My heart is not in it and it's mm. worn me dry. Yeah. And I've now had a year of not doing that. I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to go back to that thing that was holding me hostage. Right. You know, my Stockholm syndrome's cleared up. I'm mm. done. I'm ready Man. to move on now. Man. And uh, we, we eventually got to a good point, sure, you know, really sure, excited sure. about where we're headed. But I think I had this terrifying moment, which was a first time for me, a terrifying moment of like, we, we very well could go back to church as normal. Yep. And I think a lot of people would say, sweet. Hey, it's good to see you guys again. Right. <laughs> you know? And carry on. And carry on. And I just can't do it. It would crush my soul. Hmm. And she's at that point. I know you guys are at that point. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. We want something more. We yeah. want something better. Yeah. But we know that's going to require a bit of killing some stuff off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like God is going before us. Um, in recent gatherings, and, and our stuff is virtual. Yeah. We got some people in some backyards, but yeah. for the most part, we're on Zoom. Um, the reception to it has been that this is what God is doing in our community, not just in like our leaders. Right. So I'm glad I'm grateful for that because sometimes you feel like, Oh, you're just kind of playing with your Rubik's cube yeah. or you're on a hobby horse here yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's like, man, no, the Holy spirit is leading our community. God is going before us and he's calling us to this. And so I feel like we've, we've seen some fruit even in the trimming, just trimming the fat. Like yeah. I feel like yeah. we come out of COVID maybe slimmer, but healthier, healthier. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening to How to Kill a Church. Follow us on this journey of discovery, lessons learned, mistakes made, and maybe just maybe, an ancient and innovative way forward for the church of the future. If you're listening and you have not yet subscribed, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts while you're there. Rate and review us and share it with somebody else in your world you might think is interested in some of the conversations that we're having. Up next, for real this time, we're going to take a bit of time and look at the deconstruction journey. Kind of a three-episode arc of the theological journey of deconstruction, and in particular, how to come out of that with a more robust faith, not in the institution of the church necessarily, but in the person of Jesus. Till then, see you next time. Grace and peace.